reached the answering service of Stephen Q. Spears, which raises the question, who bothers calling people and leaving messages these days? You couldn't just text? Leave a message after the tone and I'll text you back when I'm sober. Spearsy! This episode of Stuck in the 80s is sponsored by The 80s Cruise. Join your Stuck in the 80s hosts along with MTV VJs Mark Goodman and Alan Hunter in spring 2024 for a week-long trip on board the Royal Caribbean Mariner of the Seas. Performers will include 38 Special, Air Supply, Soft Cell, Debbie Gibson, Sebastian Bach, Stephen Piercy of Rat, Ray Parker Jr., Sheena Easton, Wang Chung, Midnight Star, Anna Motion, Real Life Escape Club, When in Rome, and more. We now have a promo code. That's right. Let's see if we can guess what it's going to be. That's right, it's stuck. You say it, you get it. S-T-U-C-K when booking to get $200 with a cabin credit. You must be first-time 80s cruisers to use this code, and you got to use it when you book. Go to www.the80scruise.com for more information. Travel back in time to the 80s. Reliving the shenanigans. It was the early 80s. And sex was still a good way to meet new people. The disappointment. Now that's a real shame when folks be throwing away a perfectly good white boy like that. And the self-confidence. I'm six foot, three inches tall, and maintain a very consistent panda bear shape. Because just like you, we're stuck in the 80s. Sure, it's not 1985 right now, but who knows what tomorrow will bring. Welcome to Stuck in the A's. It's your old pal, Spearsy. And today we wish a happy 40th birthday to perhaps the greatest debut album of our decade. It's our tribute to the Violent Femmes' first album. I hope you know that this will go down on your permanent record. Oh, yeah? Well, don't get so distressed. Did I happen to mention that I'm in the press? With me this week, we call him the mayor of the 80s cruise, but he's also the Brian Ritchie to my Gordon Gano. It's Chuck Coverley. Hey, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Very excited to talk about this album. It, you know what? This takes me back to college. More than anything else, I think, every time I hear a song from this album that I know, it takes me back to 1987. I'm a sophomore in, at FDU, uh, hanging around in the quad, and my roommate... One of my roommates in the quad is playing this album over and over and over again. I, I know I didn't listen to this album when it came out in 83. I, I can almost guarantee you that I, I bet 75% of the people who listen to this podcast heard this album for the first time because someone, because a roommate introduced it to him or a, like an older brother or a friend. Like nobody like went out and said, you know, I heard about the Violent Femmes. This must be a good album. I'm going to buy it. I, everybody heard it through somebody else. I mean, it's like, as one reviewer calls it, it's like the king of the mixtapes. You know what it's like? It's like something that would have gone viral before the internet. Yes. You know, it was all, it was all, somebody had a, a, a tape, a recording of it, gave it to somebody, they made a copy of it, gave it to somebody, and it just spread out that way. Now, I, I don't think I ever remember hearing any of these songs on the radio. I know it got played, uh, you know, on college radio, and, and I worked at the college radio station but we didn't listen too much to each other's shows and i was playing lots of top 40 stuff yeah you know that's i was getting those cds from the bmg and the columbia and i would just play all the hits off of that um but yeah it was just 
thank goodness for my roommate, you know, that, that he played it all the time. Uh, sadly, uh, not with us this week is, is Brad in LA. He is uh, still being detained in Florida for reading a banned book from what I understand. Florida has five. Yeah, it's, it's a classic. Maybe in another town, it's a classic in any town. But, uh, I know that if he were here, he would love to talk about the violent femmes. But I think between uh, Chuck and I, I think we have enough stories to carry on. Plus, plus we have feedback from some patrons and some of our Facebook friends about what this album meant to them. Tell your man I'm stuck on this lovely girl. to me, she mean all the world. But then she like another guy. I fall down dead, she never see the tears I cry. Said, please, please, please do not go. Probably not to anyone's surprise that this is the most successful album by the Violent Femmes to date, anyway, right? It's gotta be. It's gotta be. It, so it was certified gold, but it took four years after its release, and then took another four years to get to platinum. And it hit both those milestones despite never having been on the Billboard 200 album chart. Can you believe that? That's insanity. Well, no, it had it had made it to the 200, but it only made it to 171. Oh, but like, like, I'm talking about after the re-release, though. After oh, the right. platinum, right? Oh, yeah, no, not in the first release. No, I had it on tape somewhere. My roommate made a copy for me, and again, it only got played on the first side because that's all he ever played. Yeah. So that's all I knew. I, he had it. He had it on. Um, vinyl and would play it on vinyl and and made a, a cassette tape for me but um you know and handwritten on there violent femmes so yeah. i had no idea there were no liner notes or anything like that at all the, the album cover itself though is kind of memorable the i read this backstory about it it's kind of bizarre the cover model is a three-year-old girl named billy joe campbell who was walking down an la street as as nobody does <laughs> when she and her mother were approached which probably always happens, and offered $100 again for a photograph that would actually become the album cover. It it, it shows, um, you know, the little girl looking through a window of a house that's in Laurel Canyon. And she was later interviewed and she says, quote, I remember looking into that building and they kept telling me there were animals in there and I was pissed off. I didn't know why they would make me look into this building. I had no idea there were photographers there. I was pissed because I couldn't see the animals. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> so if you've ever been, you know, Laurel Canyon, who was just walking around Laurel Canyon, they find a three-year-old girl and be like, hey, you want to come look at these animals over here, kid? <laughs> it's just, it sounds it's totally no. creeper. They pulled up in a van, right? <laughs> yeah. Lighter first with candies and her mom said, no, no, we're not that stupid. We want the money. I, I, I tried to read some of the reviews of this. And I mean, that always doesn't get you where you want to go. But sometimes it's a nice perspective about what the the people who made music criticism their life at the time thought. I'm sorry. The music critics of the time, were they anything like the executives that always made the wrong calls almost all the time? Uh, You know, because sometimes how much much faith do you actually put into what they were saying? You know, it's interesting you bring this up. I. Um, when I was at the St. Petersburg Times, and I was there for 17 years, I was friends with the film critic there, and I got to know his. I I got to love his movie reviews, every single one of them, even though I knew for a fact that there were some movies 
he just doesn't like. He never liked science fiction movies. So any science fiction movie, any Star Trek movie, any Star Wars movie was going to get a less than admirable score. So, but I would look at I would look at his reviews for you know what, what's your problem with this? Is it is it that the acting's a little hammy? Is it that the plot is is so un, unrealistic that it's not feasible? And and I would I would try to dissect it and pull out the pull out the truths that I could pull out and not and not just grade the movie on his overall impression. I, I, I pulled out the pieces. And so I think sometimes when I look at movie or music reviews, I try to do the same thing. I try to find out like, what's your, what's your objection? Like, you know, with Rush, a lot of times the objection was Getty Lee's voice, you know, right. Uh, you know, a hamster in overdrive people would say, or something <laughs> like that, or that the, the lyrics from Neil were a little too <laughs> full of themselves. You're like, okay, those don't bother me. You know, is their musicianship bad? No. When critics looked at the Violent Femmes, you have some interesting things. Gordon Gano, the lead singer, has a very unique voice. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he does. So he gave a lot of he got a, he gave a lot of promise to other bands that were up and coming at the time, realizing, hey, you don't actually have to sound good as a singer to make it right. I, I read that the village voice compared him to Jonathan Richmond of the modern lovers. I, I don't know how, how well, you know, Jonathan Richmond and the modern lovers that that was one of the bands that my band liked to cover a lot. And he's got like this nice, rich, deep voice, but it's definitely has a very distinct accent to it. Gordon always felt like to me, it was, it was almost like I mean, he wrote most of these songs when he was in high school and they sound like songs that are sung by a high schooler. And then maybe that's the authenticity that attracted us to them. That and the ability that you could go to a frat party and you could sing right along and you're not ruining the song. Oh, exactly. Yes. I, I, you know what? It does take me back to a whole room full of college students holding their beers up and, (laughs) and singing along, uh, especially to blister in the sun. You you play that song now. Oh, yeah. it, it surprises me, like, who knows that song now? You'll see 20-somethings singing along. I'm like, how do you even know this song? Yeah, passed on. I, I tell you, I, I just read something the other day that said that there's this new movie, Air, about the development of the Air Jordans. That I think it was set in 1984, and it's out in theaters right now. And it has Ben Affleck and Matt Damon in it. And they say in the first five minutes of the movie, you hear a blister in the sun. Wow. <laughs> and it's just like, the song doesn't go away. It's it's here forever. So, and, and I had this conversation with Anne Marie, my wife, when uh, we were talking about this, doing this podcast today, and she, to her, that song was a huge. Actually, that album was huge. And when I was saying, you know, it only made it to 171, I said, if I, if my college roommate didn't play that song, I don't know if I would ever know that because I was coming off of, you know, coming out of high school, listening to top 40, whatever was big on the, the radio. And they never played that. And I don't know if I would know this, you know, once I knew and they, going to college, of course, you know, that's where I heard it, but she was like, no, that's huge. It's huge. And I'm like, is it really though? You know, it, none of the songs ever charted which is amazing to me looking back now yeah, uh, because it did play such a big part in my, in my college years. But yeah, it's, it's, if it weren't for that, I don't know. 
when I ever would have been exposed to this album. Yeah. The Pitchfork magazine or the website that is wrote, quote, if the blues survived because of the oral tradition of passing down songs from one singer to another, violent femmes endured because the tunes were shared via word of mouth at dorm parties and high school keggers. How about that? See, there you go. What you think is true about this album is absolutely true about this album. Absolutely. You could ask now, here's the larger question. Is this the best debut album of the 80s? I don't know. <sighs> I, what, what is your, your yardstick for success? That's a fair question. I think it would fail my yardstick in the sense that the songs never charted and the album barely, well, it, it didn't chart till the nineties. Right. So the traditional yardsticks absolutely fail. And yet Rolling Stone, again, take them as you will. They are still considered, you know, the enduring chronicler of music from the, you know, sixties on ranked. They did a, a was it 50 best debut albums of all time. And ranked this one at number 22. Wow. And you, that's one of those situations where I think you just kind of shot your load the first time out, boom, and then just fell into obscurity. But that first album still still hits today, 40 years later. I got the 1991 album, Why Do Birds Sing? by uh, Violent Femmes. And it had song one song that I really clung to called American Music. When I did hear that, when I was playing on Amazon, uh, you know, it'll just start playing songs after the album's over, and it yeah. did play that, and it, it 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 was vaguely familiar to me. It it feels like the next step. Now it wasn't the it was not the follow up album. There was another album called Hollowed Ground that came out, but What Do Birds Sing was the one I bought next because I like I said I don't think I I caught onto these guys until like eighty five. So but, by the time they that you discovered the first album, they were already on the second or oh, they were already on the second, third, yeah, yeah. So, they, I mean, they kept it up for a little bit, and they still tour occasionally. Have you ever gotten a chance to see them? I have not. I saw them five years ago. They played Orlando. They opened up for Echo and the Bunnymen, which you can't miss that show if that comes through town. But it was at House of Blues. And so it's a standing room only place that maybe has room for a thousand people, maybe. Maybe. I, I'm not even sure about that. And I remember the Violent Films, they came on stage. They came, they pop up out of a door on the second floor of the venue, like some like pipe and fifer band or something like that. And they just, they come down the stairs and, stuff like that. And finally, you know, everyone's going crazy and they finally reach the stage and, you know, they put on their show and I, I stayed for every song just, you know, going nuts during added up going nuts for blister in the sun, all every, everything. It was, it was such that by the time echo and the buddy man got on there about, you know, to do their set, I, I lasted about four songs. And I'm like, I'm dead. <laughs> I, gotta get out of here. <laughs> I can't, I can't stand for one more second. And I, I literally had to crawl back to my car, not because I was drunk. I hadn't had a drop of liquor, but 
I just, my feet were just gone, but I, I'm glad I got that chance. Yeah, no, if they, if they do play um, somewhere close by, I definitely want to go see them. So if there is a song that you had to pick above all the rest and, and say, this is, this is my song from that, this album, what is it for you? So I don't want to have to say blister in the sun. Cause it kind of, I kind of feel like that's, that's the one that everybody knows. If you know of the violent femmes, that's the one, you know, but one that I always had a kick out of was kiss off mm. or when he's, and when he's counting, you know, one, 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 cause you left me two, two. And I love when he gets to eight, he's like eight, eight. I forget what eight was for, but nine, <laughs> nine. So I always got a kick out of that. So that that's one that always brings a smile to my face. I take one, 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 cause you left me and two, two, two for my family and three, three, three for my heartache and four, four, four for my headaches and five, five, five for my lonely and six, six, six for my sorrow and seven, seven, for no, 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 no tomorrow and eight, eight, I forget what eight was for, but nine, nine, nine for a lost God, ten, 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 ten for everything, 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 everything. Oh, you can all just kiss off into the air. Behind my back, I can see them stare. You're right, though. Blister and Sun, Kiss Off, added up. They're the A-listers, you know, and they get all the mentions. I love, you always talk about how your roommate only played side one. Right. The very first song on side two is a song called Prove My Love. Special favors come in 31 flavors. We're out of mints, past the lifesavers. I'm dropping hints, candy for candy, coat of tongue. You're being so good, so very good for me. What do you think? Tell me honestly. I'm way, 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 way beautiful. I'm telling love this song i love this song this is like to me like the hidden gem on the album uh the pleading of a would-be lover that borders on total complete exhaustion <laughs> just <laughs> and desperation just dripping you know give, give me any any chance just no matter what i just just one one little just give me a little sliver of a chance if i have to pick a song that's not one of the a-listers that you mentioned it it would be please do not go um mm. just because that was one that it wasn't you don't hear it ever you know you would only ever hear that song if you had the album um and going back and listening to the album over again recently i was like oh yeah i kind of forgot about that one so the other ones instantly come to you yeah and you know and, and then when i'm playing it and that started i was like oh yeah i, 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 I like that one too I, I i don't talk about it too often but when i was in a band in the late part of the 80s and it was just a garage band and you know we would play small clubs and parties and stuff. I guarantee you, we knew five songs off this album that we would play ever in our set every night, blister in the sun, kiss off, add it up. Those were all for sure. Uh, I think we did prove my love. I think we may have done promise as well. We love to put, they were, they were great party songs. They were easy for everyone to play except for me on drums. <laughs> Just, <laughs> Was it timing changes? And, and well, it's just he's using he's using a very pared down percussional instruments, <laughs> and he's using some technique that I I as a self taught musician, and, and I I don't even want to to brand myself with that term musician, I, but I you know I faked it eh? as well as I could, 
You know, if you're going to fake it playing in a college band when all you know, most of the kids are half lit anyway, that's yeah, <laughs> that's, that's, that's what that was. That it. was our goal. We just wanted to go places and play places, have them give us free beer. Yeah, but but yeah, those 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 were tough songs to do. You, I just I had to dumb them down, and uh, for me, that's saying a lot. <laughs> so had had you heard about Blister and the Sun being plagiarized? At least the opening uh, guitar riff. No. So in reading, I, I saw that somebody had made some comment in one of the chat room, you know, the chats about this. And there is a song by a band back in the sixties called the shadows. And they did a song called little B and it starts off. Like I had never heard about that at all until this guy, you know, until I read that he wrote this and gave us listen to the song and it starts the same. It has a little bit of there's something else in the beginning that starts with the first five seconds or so, but it goes right into that guitar riff just like that. So was there a suit or something? Was, was there legal action? I, I couldn't find anything about a legal action at all. It's just that's and then somebody else. To say, did you even listen to the song? It sounds nothing like it. I'm like, well, what are you listening to? Because <laughs> to me, it sounds exactly like the beginning. Yeah. So, I mean, they they obviously diverge, and they just. But that's sometimes that's all it takes, right? You just play, you know, a couple bars, and it's it sounds just like it. It's you know, I just recently, and I guess we're going to be coming up on the, or we might have passed it, the 40th anniversary of um, Men at Work, a uh, business as usual, right? Yeah. Yeah. And the uh, down under this. The the um oh yeah now that one was that's a that was a court case right I mean yeah and nobody knew that it was even ripped off of that song until somebody on a game show it was a question on a trivia game show and they said what um what uh, Australian like kids song was that based on and everybody's looking around like what are you even talking about it's something like the flight of the kookaburra or something like that yeah yeah exactly. Yeah. So, but that went too. That went to court. This, I couldn't find anything at all about mm. it. You know, maybe there's nobody in the shadows left, or anybody who has a financial stake in that band yeah. anymore. You can have a cut of all the proceeds we made when that song charted. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Not making a whole lot of money with uh, with mixtapes going around yeah. college college campuses. You, you talk about playing side one endlessly and 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 side two rarely. If if you had to throw one song off the album. I got, I've got a gun to your head. Probably confessions, just because it was the last one on side A. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give you that. It, and it, it does feel diff- that song does feel different from the rest. Um, yeah, well, may, maybe not. Maybe, maybe no. Uh, that that would be the one, I guess. I, don't kill me for saying this. Well, I I don't think you will. <laughs> I mean, I'm not I'm not really worried about this, <laughs> but. I, I, the one song I skip over when I'm listening to this is Gone Daddy Gone. And I don't know why. You know what? I didn't even know that. I, I, maybe when I heard Gnarls Barkley do it, it might have just tweaked a little bit of a memory in my head. I'm sure that I played side two you know but i didn't listen to it over and over the way that i would just play side one 
over right. and over. Um, so it, it might have tickled a little bit of a memory in my head, but when I hear that song, that's what I think of. I think yeah. of the Gnarls Bark version. Yeah. There's another song you, that people could pick, and I would understand that they picked it. But I have a story behind it, and that's why I save it. And and that's the song that finishes the album. It's called Good Feeling. Only song on the album to have piano on it. So it sounds a little different for that reason alone. Um, also, probably one of the more straightforward romantic songs as well. Did they bring somebody else in to play the piano? Or yes, was that, they, they did. did. Yeah. And I remember sitting around, maybe it was the summer after high school. And I was with my friends who were also the people in my band. And we were... You know, as as you're want to do when you're 18 years old, you have there's nothing you can do until you find someone who can score you some Michelob light, I guess. <laughs> and we were sitting around, and the Dave, the guy who plays guitar, started playing "Good Feeling." I'm like, "Well, that's a catchy little tune. Where, where'd you get that from?" <laughs> he's like, "He's like, it's the final song on the album." I'm like, I don't think I ever got that far. And so we, we played it on the album and then he's, he goes, uh, you know how to play that? How come we've never played it in the band? He's like, well, you know, it just, it doesn't fit. It's, it doesn't, you know, it's too sincere. It doesn't work for us. <laughs> it doesn't get the college students jumping up and down. Well, their we we always called it, we called ourselves a goof rock band. So like everything had to have a sense of humor to it to some degree, but it was just nice, romantic, little sincere song. And <laughs> as Faye would have it, um, my girlfriend, my senior year in high school, lived right next door to Dave, and we broke up uh, before prom, and so that was horrible. You know, it's like so now we both have to go to prom with someone we don't really know or like all that much, and hurt feelings and all this kind of stuff. And I had been trying to smooth things over, and it wasn't going very well, as you can imagine. <laughs> so I said, "Well, why don't you?" teach me this song and I'll play it for her. And he's like, well, yeah, I, you don't play guitar. You can't learn this. I'm like, well, I can sing it. So we, <laughs> so we concoct this idea. So he, he teaches me the lyrics and which not that difficult. And yet, you know, once you've had your two or three illegally procured beers, it becomes a little bit more difficult. <laughs> so I, I learned to sing it. And so we go outside Go next door to her house. We I know which room is her window. And you knock on the window. And then we he starts playing it and I start singing it. There's no reaction, no lights come on or anything. So I just keep I just keep like, oh, we'll play it. Let's do it again. Maybe she's still sleeping or whatever. And so I knock on the window again and he, we play it again. And um suddenly the lights come on and the the curtains fly open. It's her big, it's her big sister there. Not she's like, Eric is not home. Please go away, or I'm calling the cops. And we're like, okay, 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 okay. We're sorry, we're sorry. So we'd like <laughs> that'd be great if it was her visiting grandparents, you know, like in, in 16 no, candles. No, it wasn't that poetic. 
But um, I, I did finally get a chance to to sing it for her. Uh, she came to a party where where we were playing, and um, I don't I don't know if I sang it or Dave sang it because I I suck. It's, I have no voice for singing. So I, I think I think he sang it for me to her, and and did it help me get her back? You wonder. It did not. <laughs> and, Spearsy uh, was just a little too sincere on that song. Yeah, no, just um, no. The good feeling would not stay with me just a little longer. So, <laughs> just. But whenever I hear that song, I think about standing outside that stupid window and that just the the shock with the when the curtains fly open and there's her older sister. Erica's not here. <laughs> I just. Oh man, sometimes that's a great story. I love that. It's a fun story. Other people had stories too. Uh, we asked our patrons, hey, you know, share your stories. Doug Arthur wrote, quote, I was fortunate enough to have a cool older brother who had cooler friends. So I was slowly exposed to stuff that was cooler than whatever Casey Kasem was spinning for me on my beloved American Top 40. My brother introduced me to Violent Femmes, I'm guessing 1984, because the first song he played for me was Country Death Song, which is on their follow-up album, Hollowed Ground. Um, aside from the Talking Hens, Violent Femmes are probably my most played band during my college days. Same as the rest of us, Doug. Um, I was a shy, nerdy kid. Oh, who am I kidding? I still am. And Gordon's song spoke to my inner turmoil and longing, unquote. So, yeah, you got another uh, feedback from Katie in Indiana. Indiana. And she wrote, I remember asking for this vinyl record as gift. If the release date is correct, I would have been in about 11 or 12, which seems a bit young. Uh, my first concert without my parents was Violent Femmes at Bogarts in Cincinnati with a friend from school in 1989. So I wonder if I got the record later, maybe. What is time, she's saying. Side note, I am now having an existential crisis because I tried to find an example of the GE portable plastic record player I had and cannot find the right version. <laughs> have you ever done that have you ever gone back and tried to re uh, not recreate but try to find objects that you had in your youth yeah just, just um, to have it because you know, things get thrown away over the years i and i really want my sony boom box that i had was it the yellow one no it was silver it was it was really there's nothing there's no reason to like it in any way whatsoever it was not impressive looking then it would be less impressive looking now i just that i knew that was my boom box and i Brad, I think, found the boombox he grew up with. Not not the actual one, but he found, you know, another model of it, and he bought it on eBay or whatever, and and nursed it back to health, and it actually works for him now. And so I got inspired to look for the Sony boombox. I I can't find it. It had square speakers. I remember that. That was the look back then, right? Yeah. Yeah. I guess. What What about you? For me, that the as soon as I saw that she had mentioned GE Portable, I had this GE Portable. Uh, a track player that the a track went in the side it had this uh dial for the radio head radio it had that and it was the big mouth it was the ge big mouth and it had a strap that you could carry it around had one big speaker in the center and that's what i listened to all of my radio uh from probably like 10 years until college uh, but i always wanted to get one of the stereo you know, big boom box and didn't get one until probably my sophomore junior year yeah. in college. My wife, Melissa has a boom box. That's, I think it might be, it's like, it's halfway working. Like she, it's, it's crazy. She has one of those machines that plays both the VHS and the DVDs. 
Oh yeah. And, but I, I kid you not, I joke about this with her. Once you turn it on, it takes about five minutes to warm up. Like before it'll actually, like you turn it on and like the dial start. And finally, whenever it says hello, it's then, then it's on, but it takes, I'm telling you, no, no exaggeration, five to 10 minutes. Turn it on, go get some of the drinks. That's start what we dinner, do. Yeah. Yeah. Come back with your dinner. She still has all these tapes that she made of her family and growing up and what her bedroom looked like with all the Michael Jackson posters and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's hilarious just to see these tapes, but I just, you know, that machine and tries your patience. I, I wish that I had walked around my house. We got, we got a um, video camera, this <laughs> to remember Sears LXI brand. It was like uh, some knockoff Sears brand uh, Magnavox maybe. And we used to make a bunch of goofy little videos and you know, just little skits and things, but I never videoed my bedroom. So my memory of my bedroom, is, you know, and how I had it laid out is really all in my brain. And once in a while, I'll see something, hear something, see something that just kind of throws me back. I was like, oh, I had one of those. And it was in that corner right next to, you know, the fake palm tree. You know, Because <laughs> in the 80s, you had to have either a ficus or a, you know, a palm tree. Yeah. Well, we had we had palm tree wallpaper that this one whole wall of the house had palm fronds on as the design on the wa- wallpaper, and it was right where we put our organ. You know, because I had to take organ lessons because that served me so well in the future. So, I, I whenever I see that that crazy wallpaper, I, that's just like it's like a nom flashback. Um, by the way, Katie did find it eventually. She wrote me back and said. It was 1970s General Electric White Orange Record Player Volume uh, Model V211M. <laughs> so, That's so cool. <laughs> um, Nate Chops Johnson wrote us, and he said, uh, this is embarrassing. I'm going to lose any cool points I might have with y'all. Um, I think I fall on the younger side of your listeners. Um, everyone else seems to have been in high school in our favorite decade. I was seven years old in 1983. At that age... I was only exposed to whatever my big sister was listening to. So Journey, Van Halen, Prince, Madonna. I discovered the Femmes as a teenager when I was 14 because I was watching Arsenio Hall and they had Blossom was on the show. And she <laughs> mentioned she liked the Violent Femmes. So me being a Blossom fan at the time, I went to Camelot Music. Excellent reference. Nice. Um, I bought the cassette. I didn't become a huge fan, but a fan enough to enjoy their music. I will say, though, that when I was older, not much cooler, and club hopping in Hollywood, on retro nights, Blister in the Sun would always pack the dance floor. I've never seen them live, which I regret. I hear they put on an amazing show. Yes, they do. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and it is funny. I'll play that. When I used to DJ, uh, I would play that song, and and you would just see people's heads just turn, and they get a look on their face like, and they get all excited. And it's it's funny how a song that never charted has that kind of reaction even today. Yeah, no, you're right. It was it was viral before it, before viral was a thing. Right. So Chase in Ecuador writes the one thing I remember about that entire album is a single line from Blister in the Sun. Uh, he says, "I was in college, the Citadel, a military college. As the album became popular, we had a classmate named Hans." And nice. to this day, only lyric I hear when those bass lines begin is, Big Hans, I know you're the one. <laughs> <laughs> no idea what happened to Hans. Hope that the song still doesn't haunt him. That's Jason Ecuador. Oh, my God. That's great. So speaking of Hans, like, I wonder if he's German. 
right? And and so I wanted to talk about the um, the origin of the name Violent Femmes. Do you know where it came from? I I I remember reading that they said it was uh, a twist, like a femme wouldn't be violent. So uh, you know, femme is a more effeminate person. So that the fact that it'd be a violent femme would be sort of contradictory. Right. They were going for that oxymoron. Thing. Yeah. And, and it's interesting that they chose French and, and not German because in German it would be Gewalttätiger Frauen, which <laughs> definitely sounds violent <laughs> in the German. French, French doesn't sound violent no matter what you're saying. Uh, German almost always sounds somewhat violent. I always wanted to take German, but, um, and I think our high school even offered it, but you had to be hardcore to, to do that. I mean, it just, you really had to have a purpose to take it. And I, yeah. I didn't, if, if we ever get that time machine, we can go back and do the eighties all over again. <laughs> you know, I, I took four and I joke and I say that I took four and a half years of Latin, uh, but I did, I took four, I went into Latin five. There were like maybe only three of us in the class. And I was like, yeah, no, I'm not going to take this. I'll just take the study hall. I have plenty <laughs> of credits to graduate. Um, I should have just taken it because it would have been an easy, probably an easy A. But going back now, I, I would probably take German because it would be more. Uh, well, if I went back now, I would already know what I knew from high school anyway. So you might as well take everything different. Well, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, sure. Well, I, right? yeah. I, I mean, unless you go back and you forget everything. Well, I'd like to think I've forgotten a lot of it. How do you know we already we we might have already done it and we just don't know? We had some friends who in on Facebook left comments too. Our our good friend Drew Friedman wrote, quote, My daughter recently sent me a Spotify playlist of songs she and her college age friends like. Lots of good new music. And right in the middle was Blister in the Sun. The Femmes are still killing it with the next generation. Yes, they are. Amazes me. Uh, Paul Dansman wrote, okay, me and my friend thought we figured out a thing. <laughs> On albums and cassette tapes, Song 9 was the best. While I have tested this over and over and often more so than not, yep, Song 9 is a goodie. Well, that's the case this time. Gone, Daddy, Gone. Gone, Daddy, Gone was song number nine. Well, yeah. yeah, he's right. It is kind of a weird place to put that song. So is it because of the placement on side two? And it goes back to my theory that everything on side A has all the hits. And then you have to put something good on side two. Just well, to, I would in argue the middle. there's three that, good songs on side two, but uh, but, so but you're whole, right. But Gone Daddy Gone is definitely probably the reason most people turned it over, right? Yeah, yeah. It forced you to have to. You, that that whole the entire album is only 36 minutes and 20 seconds long. I know. It's I lovely. actually added it up, <laughs> up today. <laughs> uh, uh, Erica Conrad wrote, wrote this little quickie note. It just says 1987. Small Catholic college, air band contest. We did add it up and got disqualified for language. <laughs> <laughs> you don't say. Yeah, didn't see that coming. <laughs> but you know what I did see coming? The, the Seggies. Why can't I get just one f- <laughs> off the stage? <laughs> It's time for 80s record rewind. Uh, we put the turntable on neutral and spin the record backwards. If you can understand the song and send us the name and title, you're entered into a drawing for some special swag. Because for this week, I know Chuck said you were going to uh, send something nice to, to whoever wins. So. Yes, that's right. Uh, the Fox and Possum. So yeah. foxandpossum.com. 
uh, I'll send if they send me whoever wins after we spin this wheel uh, sends me an email at Chuck at uh, foxandpossum.com and I will uh, get with you and we will figure out who uh, gets the goodies. Okay, sounds good. So cast your mind back to episode 659. Here was the clip. Oh, wow. This caused such chaos when we did this. <laughs> See, I'm so happy that how long have I been lobbying for this? A long and I time. I was like, yes. And, and I was just hoping that we didn't get crickets. I was hoping that nobody... Yeah, I was oh. hoping that it wasn't the case that nobody at all would be like, uh, I, we uh, got so many emails and I would say one out of 10 got it right. Wow. And I gave people multiple chances. I said, well, no, a lot of people guessed that it was Howard Jones. It is. But then they would literally guess every other song until they landed on the correct one, which is everlasting love. I, I picked something. I didn't want to pick something from a, from a verse or from the chorus. So I was like, let me pick a little, you know, a bridge interlude, something in there that I thought would be very recognizable. Uh, and I wanted to do something that was not only, uh, you know, on the radio at the time, uh, since we were doing the 1989 uh, number two hits, but it was something that we had talked about on the 80s cruise when yeah. he was hosting trivia with you. So right. that, that was the reason why I chose that. <laughs> I even told someone, look, it's it's Howard Jones. It's it's a song that we all it's a song of his that we sang to him during trivia, which you were at. <laughs> and he still got it wrong. <laughs> but you know, God bless him, because I mean, when you played it for me, I didn't I you could have given me 50 guesses, I wouldn't have gotten it. So uh, you want to read the winners? Sure. Winners include Auburn in Tennessee, Jeff Hurst, Dave De La Hurt, Carlos Stuck in Pennsylvania, Lindsay in the middle of Michigan, a.k.a. Lindsay, a female listener who does, in fact, enjoy Rush, <laughs> which is nice because the bathroom is always available. Jeremy, who shot J.R. Rod one? Nate Chops Johnson, Lee from the hashtag San Francisco Bay Area 80s Cruisers, Todd in Minnesota. That is Minnesota, right? Yep. <laughs> Jason in Memphis, Becky the Rocker Pixie, Jeremy in DC-ish, and Alan B. Okay, let's spin the Can wheels to see this you. Thing? Here we go. Ready? Go and do it. Ready? Ah, nicely done. Yes. <clears throat> My arms have been mush recently because I've been working out, trying to get into uh, playing weight as we're getting closer to the summertime is this thing ever going to stop spinning it's going to stop spinning any any second now uh looks like it's going to be lee from hashtag sf bay area 80s cruisers so send us ah, your awesome <clears throat> i'll pass your email along to the chuckster here and you guys can uh work something out don't give him a hundred dollars and ask to, to take a photo of a house in laurel canyon i'm just saying with animals in the window yeah <laughs> in the meantime pay attention chuck has cooked up this uh record rewind just for you if you know it, email us at podcast at sits.com and tune in soon to find out if you're a winner. We'll be right back after this commercial break. 
feel the music with the Sony Walkman. The Sony Walkman is a tiny stereo cassette player with truly incredible sound. Put on a Walkman and see the world in a whole new light. The Walkman from Sony, the one and only. And we're back. We have time for one more, Seggy. Let's play What's Your 80s Obsession? Chuck, what's your 80s obsession? It it never changes. Uh, It's (laughs) always something to, if it's not the music or the movies or the TV shows or any of that stuff that I consume all the time, it's it's video games. And right now I've been playing a lot of um, the, well, why did my brain go numb for a second? Oh, the um, Super Mario 2. It's it's the second in the Super Mario series on the uh, Nintendo, the NES system. Oh, sure. Yeah. And I always play as Princess Peach because she can fly. If anybody <laughs> knows that game, you know that that I, I don't know why anybody would ever be any of the other characters. You could be either Mario, Luigi, Toad, you know, the little dude or uh, Princess Peach. And she flies like, why would you choose anybody else? I, I don't understand. I got I, I held on to my Nintendo NES forever. But I'm sure it's gone now. I, I'm sure some. I'm just. I'm horrible about. There was. If if I could have known back then that I'd been eventually would do a podcast about the '80s for 20 years, I would have kept some <laughs> more stuff. <laughs> See, and mine is up in the attic somewhere, and I'm sure that that you know that gray plastic is just browning into like a weird beige color <laughs> now after being up in this attic that gets like 150 degrees in the summer yeah. and, and people listening that are you know that are into that are like get that out of there and i'm like yeah i know i know <laughs> I'll, I'll bring it down from the attic but because i play everything on emulators now anyway oh okay you know, I just, on my- I, yeah I, I just ordered a miss pac-man cocktail table uh arcade game it's supposed to arrive next week and it'll have 60 games and the wife wanted it for Miss Pac-Man, and it also has the fast version of Pac-Man and Miss Pac-Man. And then I wanted it because it had Galaga and it has Zaxxon on it. So those so are. So does that ha- that has the cheat on there where you can push the button and he goes faster? I don't know until I get it. <laughs> yeah, there there is there is one that has a hack that if yeah. you held down a, a button that it, you know he would speed up and go a lot faster. Yeah, yeah which I know. I know. I I just said it said fast Pac-Man and fast fast Miss Pac-Man. I assume. Maybe it's a baked-in hack. I have no idea. We'll find out. Um, <laughs> the only other thing lately is we've been kind of going on a ticket-buying spree of concerts. And I don't go to a lot of concerts except for when it's the 80s cruise because you get spoiled. You know, you're know, you used to seeing them, you know, <laughs> really good seats. But now we have tickets to Duran Duran in Tampa to see uh, Lionel Richie with Earth, Wind, and Fire. Wow. So that's worth it just for the Fast Times of Richmond High jokes. And then uh, what else? Jackson Brown we just bought. Now, I don't, he's not really an 80s guy, but I mean, you know, I love them. Um, we were sitting here toying just yesterday with the idea of going to see the Psychedelic Furs here in Orlando. And then there's like a air supply musical that's starting up in New York that she's going to go see. And she's trying to talk me into flying up there to see it with her. And then that would be uh, interesting. Yeah. And then I'm trying to think, it seems like there was, there was something else. And it was just like, Oh, and I just booked tickets. Um, There's a place in Virginia where they filmed part of dirty dancing. And every year they have a certain number of 
Dirty Dancing Weekends. And so for her 50th birthday, I'm taking her to that resort for a Dirty Dancing Weekend. That's pretty cool. Don't put so, her in the corner. <laughs> do not do that. She loves that movie. So it's like it, that was that was her wish list for, for when she turns 50. So she she already knows it's happening. I mean, I had to, I had to clear it through her as far as like, you know, what date works. But yeah, I think it's called Mountain Lodge or something like that. If you, if you Google Dirty Dancing Weekends, you'll come up with it. And so we're going to go for that. And I'm going to. I'm going to go put my pickle on a plate with <laughs> all the college boys. That sounds awful. <laughs> I'm going to quit while I'm ahead. <laughs> I'm looking at it right now. There's a, um, our friends, uh, the Rears, George and Monica Rears sent us there. They just got tickets for the lawn for a Brett Michaels party gras tour 2023 with night Ranger, uh, Jefferson starship, Mark McGrath and Steve O. Jerry from, uh, from journey, you know, the former lead singer guy. Oh, and sure. Like, I know. Yeah. You know, to do the lawn seats after doing the 80s cruise is so hard. You know <laughs> I, what I mean? Like, I it's, can't. I can't do I can't lay out. I can't sit on the grass at my age. You know, and, and I was so glad that it, because Amory is not a huge Devo fan. You know, I I go because, hey, it's it's part of the whole fun. I don't remember what she was doing at the time, but we gave our ticket or our spot uh, in the front row to Brad in L.A. Yeah. And he, you know, the smile on his face when they came out, I was just like, <laughs> it was so nice that I made his, his, I don't know if I made his evening that night, but it was, he just kept turning around with this big smile on his face. I took a couple <laughs> pictures of him, you know, with that big smile and, but it spoils you, you know, you're right there. You can see their, you can see the whites of their eyes. Yeah. You know, no, you can it was, hear... <clears throat> when you, any, anytime I, I remember I was sitting there for Brett Michaels and someone had given us their seats up towards the front. So we were maybe five rows back. And as soon as the show, right before the show starts, everyone starts standing up. And two people next to us kind of complained to the to the usher. Hey, everyone's standing up. And the guy goes, it's a concert, not a show. <laughs> if you can't stand for 45 minutes or we play for about an hour. Yeah, like, they all play for about an hour, hour and a half. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, no, it's a concert, not a show. Yeah, yep. <laughs> it's fun. <laughs> uh, yeah, don't forget the promo code stuck. If if you've never been, and you want to go for the first time and get that two hundred dollars cabin credit. Uh, in the meantime, it was really fun shooting the shit with Chuck and talking about this album that meant so much to us forty years ago. I can't believe it's forty years old. And you know what? It's not. It's only thirty because <laughs> I didn't discover it until eighty seven. So. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so we get to do another show a few years from now. That works for me. That's right. Uh, in the meantime, uh, Chuck and I remain here, hopelessly stuck in the 80s. You don't always seem, always seem like you're leaving when I need you here just a little longer. Stuck in the 80s is now on Patreon. If you'd like to support the show, go to patreon.com slash stuck in the 80s podcast. Special thanks to Check Battery Daily for our theme music. And thanks for listening. La, la, la.